right, we, we finally got Garrison back on the right continent. So I'm, I'm a little jealous as a geography teacher that, you know, you guys just went. And, and, and we were talking about that on our, on our drive back to pick up kids from Falls Creek. And uh, you need to just do that every year. Go somewhere else, take pictures, and send them back. Because you do a fantastic job. You know, I know you got your whole life planned out, but I'm going to start planning it for you. National Geographic is always hiring. So we're still in Genesis. Big shocker. But we couldn't leave poor Joseph where he was. Last time we talked about Joseph, and we we skipped over him for Father's Day. Uh, I'll publicly thank her. I'm grateful Denise stepped in because. Uh, I didn't even get back to Buffalo until three in the morning that day, and I, I I put together the notes for this sermon, and then realized, wait, it's Father's Day. That's not a Father's Day message, <laughs> and and she said, don't worry about it. I got it. So um, really blessed and thankful. But this morning we're going to continue with Joseph and. And Joseph, we left him in the prison, forgotten by the people who could help him the most. And, and I, I think in a way we can all relate to that because if, if you haven't ever had that moment where you, fought, you felt forgotten, just wait, it's coming. <laughs> you, you may have had it in work where you felt passed over for a promotion. You may have you know, been the kid that was left at TGNY back in the day and felt forgotten. And it was your own fault because you were hiding in the clothes racks, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, wasn't overly traumatic. I just remember it. And if you're old enough to remember TGNY, you're officially old. So some of these kids are like, what's TGNY? I said, well, it's Walmart's great grandfather. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Joseph was forgotten by the cupbearer who was the only guy that probably could help him out because the cupbearer had the very ear of the most powerful man in all of Egypt, Pharaoh. And, and we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 41. After two whole years, two whole years, this guy forgot about Joseph for two years, but God didn't forget because God is working in seasons in Joseph's life. If you want the quick recap, the early season of Joseph's life in youthful arrogance, you know, he throws out the dreams that he had received before his brothers without God telling him to. And being fair to Joseph, he never interpreted those dreams. His family did that all on their own. And... His brothers get angry with him. They actually plot to kill him, if not for intervention of, of a you know, brother who was trying to get back in the good graces of dad. Joseph would have been brutally murdered at the hands of his brothers. And Joseph gets sold into slavery for a season of his life. He's a slave in a household, which uh, I'm guessing being a house slave in Egypt wasn't all that bad because Joseph... Had it pretty good until a desperate housewife decides that, you know, she wanted Joseph for her very own and he rejected her and she plotted against him and gets him thrown in prison. Which, again, is just another season in Joseph's life. And Joseph interprets the dreams of two 
people who had a chance to be influential and help his case. And unfortunately for one of those guys, the interpretation of the dreams, you're going to be hung by the neck and eaten by the birds. And the other guy, uh, he gets out of prison, goes back to doing his job, serving the most powerful member of Egyptian society, and forgets about Joseph. Joseph's life is just continuing in seasons. And, and I think when we look back at our own life, we realize that there's seasons that God's working differently in our life. And, and some of that is just the natural process of things where God matures you. Now, spiritually, if you don't feel like you have spiritual seasons, uh, then maybe it's because you're being stubborn and not maturing spiritually. And again, like my friend in California says, the hit dog yelps. So if, if that one hit you or I stepped on your toes or whatever the verbiage is for preachers offending people, uh, I'll remind you that Scripture says you're not supposed to get offended because great peace have those who delight in God's laws. Nothing shall offend them. So if, if you're bent out of shape with you're not growing spiritually, that's why you're not going through seasons spiritually, then you take it up with the author. Okay, I'm just the... I'm just the reader today. Okay, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And I'm not going to get to unpack everything about this, but I want you to understand that God in these dreams is speaking to Pharaoh in a language that he understands. Because the Nile in ancient Egypt represented a deity of itself. It was a god. Because the flooding of the Nile brought life every year to Egypt. So God is using the gods of Egypt to speak to Pharaoh. Okay, And I, I wish I had time to break down how everything in his dream is actually representing a different deity in the culture. I don't have time to do that. It would be fun for some of you. Some of you would pull your hair out like this is boring and stupid. Okay, And, and we'll probably get through some boring and stupid in Exodus and you'll just live with it. <laughs> Because it's cool. It really is that God did this. But he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. I'm telling you, I would have woke up the moment cows started eating other cows. That's terrifying. Okay? Think of a cow eating anything other than what cows eat. That's pretty scary. If I went out in the field and Scott's cows were eating coyotes, I'd be terrified. I don't know that I'd buy any long beef after that. I mean, I'm just telling you. If I get out there and cows are eating other cows, that's scary stuff. And Pharaoh woke up from it because that's a terrifying dream. And he fell asleep. Anybody ever wake up from a bad dream and you were finally able to get back to sleep? Well, has anybody had the occurrence of going right into another bad dream? That, that's, that's some next level sleeping there. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. 
and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Okay? This is Little Shop of Horrors, Egyptian style. I mean, can you, can you see it now? This plump grain is on this stalk, and then this other stalk of grain comes up, and it is bad. I mean, I, I would have a hard time explaining exactly what blight is to my kids other than it's just a disease of a plant. It's a diseased, nasty-looking plant, and it pops up and says, Feed me, Seymour, and eats the other grain. I'm sorry, that's a terrible musical reference. But um, if I'm Pharaoh, I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to wake up freaked out by this because I have back-to-back bad dreams. And you have to understand who Pharaoh was. Pharaoh was a deity himself to the Egyptian people. He was a god. He was the God King. And in his role as God King, he was to interpret the will of all of the gods of Egypt, and there's a bunch of them, and relay that will to the people. So what happens if you're that guy and you have back-to-back bad dreams that you can't figure out? Are you going to be easy to get along with? Are you going to be happy? Are you going to be comfortable? I mean... Pharaoh doesn't have any hair, so he can't pull it out. But he's at his wit's end trying to figure out what's going on. So in the morning, means he didn't sleep the rest of the night. In the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and he called for all of the magicians of Egypt. And I want you to understand that magicians there is very similar to a New Testament word we call magi. Interesting fact. But the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And and I, I want you to understand that we live in a world where we get to see this every day. There are people out there who are, are confused about the world we live in. They're confused about their own identity. They're confused about who God made them to be. And they're needing someone to step in and interpret to them the Word of God in a clear and concise way, in a loving way, to meet them where they're at. Pharaoh was looking for anyone in his empire that could come and meet him where he was at and clear up his confusion. Because a a confused leader is not able to lead. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, and I I imagine if if smacking yourself in the head were a thing, the cupbearer did it. He's like, oh man, what am I thinking? Smack my head because I remember my offenses today. Or in modern term, I I done messed up, A.A. Ron. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and he put me, in the, me and the chief baker in custody, bless his soul, in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And for those of you that missed that nugget, the captain of the guard is Potiphar, who's Anyways, we won't go back to it, but that real interesting nugget. The captain of the guard is Potiphar. So he was a slave in Potiphar's house, and he was a prisoner in Potiphar's prison. Anyway, 
we told them him, and he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. Now, when I read that, and I'll be honest, I read it again just going through notes in Sunday school. When I saw that, and Pharaoh sent. Who do you think he sent to get Joseph? I think he sent the cupbearer. I think he said, you know this guy, go get him. And he called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And just like we've watched this transition in Joseph's life, these seasons in his life, we're going to see them play out again right here because he's taken out of the pit or out of the prison. And what happens first and foremost? Does he go straight to Pharaoh? No. They make him shave because you don't go into Pharaoh looking all raggy. They, and they made him change his clothes. You're no longer wearing the clothes of a prisoner. You're, you're going to be something else. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, how many times have we ran into Joseph in dreams? Okay, in each season of his life, we've watched Joseph's maturity start to come out. As a teenage, this is not no punk teenage kid at home, he just fired it out there. As a prisoner, he finally started to recognize, hey, only God can interpret these. Now he's standing before the God king of Egypt, and this is his response. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. He's just disconnecting from the gift altogether. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. God, and I want you to understand, he did not claim a deity of Egypt in that moment. He was speaking about Jehovah. He was speaking about Yahweh. Of course, at this point, we got to understand that Pharaoh has no idea who that God is. Has no idea. But the thing about Egyptian religion was that they were willing to hear the insights of other gods because they didn't want to offend any god. And that, that tradition will carry into several civilizations. And we see it in the New Testament with the altar to the unknown god by the Romans who were also very, 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 hey, we'll accept any God because then we can pick and choose what we like. And they don't want to offend anyone. And sounds like our world today, they don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to offend anybody. I'll tell you the truth. If the world's not willing to offend anybody, then they're also willing to hear what God has to say if you're willing to present it like Jesus said to present the truth in love. That's a freebie. And then Pharaoh tells Joseph about his dreams. I'm not going to repeat those dreams because I'm still shuddering up here thinking about cows eating cows. And 
And man, I don't know if it was corn or if it was wheat. Either way, it's scary. I mean, plants eating plants. Oh. Okay. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. I want you to understand that as we look at the world around us, God is repeatedly revealing to the world what he is about to do. And if you're uncomfortable with that, then you need to be uncomfortable with it because look at the state of our world today. As people are getting farther and farther from the truth of God, the world is slowly beginning to tear itself apart, which is exactly what is described in the book of Revelation that has to take place before the Antichrist can come and be the false savior to the world. We're seeing it. And God is no different than He was to Pharaoh. He's revealing it if we're willing to have our eyes open and look through the lens of Scripture and see what He's saying. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Man, if we would be as perceptive to the voice of God as Joseph was in that moment, where we look at society and, and not through the lens of, uh, of we're so holy and the society is so unrighteous, but looking at it as a stern warning of there's a whole lot of people climbing aboard a spiritual Titanic heading for the iceberg, and we're the only ones smart enough to tell them don't get on that boat. We're not here to judge you. We're here to help you. We're trying to throw you a lifeline. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. I want you to understand that America has more churches per capita than any nation in the world. We have seen mass revival in America over and over again. We've seen all the years of feasting in America. And now we're starting to see what it looks like in a famine. And here's the thing. There's people out there spiritually starving to death. Are you storing up enough to share the bread of life with your neighbor in the famine? All the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Woo. How many of you want to be the, the guy out of prison telling the most powerful man in the world that story? Yee. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. And in my notes, you got to think way back 
in Genesis, but what was one of the characteristics of the family of Abraham that, that God chooses people with that? It was that wonderful Yiddish word we brought out. Chutzpah. You want to talk about chutzpah? You just told him the world's about to end on your doorstep, sir. And what's Joseph continue to do? He lays out a plan. I want you to understand that we live in a world full of people who need to see the world's going to end on their doorstep, but they also need to know that there was a plan laid before the foundations of the world by a God who's full of, of grace and truth and mercy that they could be saved. And Joseph lays out a plan. Let, a, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh to proceed to anoint, appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years let them gather all the food from these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it that the food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? Can we find a man like this? And I wonder, is, is he pointing at Joseph when he asked that question? Can we find a man like this? You know, that, that's something that I hope becomes your goal if, if you have a boss that you work for. Do they point at you and say, can we find a man like this? Is there anybody else in the company like this guy? I don't think so. Because in him in whom the Spirit of God is. That's what set Joseph apart in the eyes of Pharaoh. Joseph served a God Pharaoh didn't know, and Pharaoh recognized that the Spirit of that God was in him. You want to talk about, you want to set yourself a bar to reach? There it is. When people look at you, they ask, man, can anybody have the Spirit of God in them like that guy? Or like that gal. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you this, there is none as discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all of my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Now this is something that is, is unheard of in Egyptian history for a, a pharaoh to humble himself to the point where he makes someone legalistically his equal. You, you want to see that God was working in the life of someone who would never fully come to know him. Pharaoh did not know the God of the Hebrews. And, and we're going to see that Pharaoh is going to take some steps back from this here in a minute. But not in the legality, but in the spiritual sense. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Now, if you're a New Testament person, a lot of this is going to sound very familiar with the prodigal son. Because what does the father do? He embraces his son, he puts a ring on his hand. 
He puts a robe on him and he puts sandals on his feet in the prodigal story. In Joseph's story, we're going to put a ring on his hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck because they weren't real big sandal people. Okay, gold chain. Mr. And we're not talking like some little thin, dainty chain. This would have been, you know, like Mr. T type chains. Okay, he essentially made Joseph Mr. T, if you need an image in your mind. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all of Egypt. Meaning, I'm in charge, but you're the one giving orders. He gave him a ring, which signified authority. He gave him a new linen garment, which was an identity. Okay, Because no one dresses in the linens of the Pharaoh except the household of Pharaoh. And he gave him that gold chain, which only belongs to heroes in the Egyptian empire. They, they called that gold chain the gold of honor. And the only way that you got to wear that is if you did great deeds in battle and were awarded it by the Pharaoh, or you in some way saved the Pharaoh or the nation. Joseph hadn't done anything except interpret a dream at this point, and he's given the gold of honor. And the gold of honor was like the, the mega platinum credit card where you could go in and if you wanted somebody's house at your house if you wanted somebody's daughter for your bride she's your bride they're not going to argue with you because you had the gold of honor and all he's done so far is interpret a dream and lay out a plan hadn't done anything yet and pharaoh called joseph's name Zapathanath Paneah and gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. This is a complete freebie, but once again, shows up in Scripture. The guy had a job before he had a wife. Looking at somebody picking at their arm over here and thinking, had a job before he had a wife. My daughter's thinking she's out the loop. They're both staring at me now. It's like, had a job. He wasn't a loser before he had a wife. Okay? We got it covered, right? <clears throat> looking, at, looking at the college-age kids now. Looking at, get the look. His name, his Egyptian name, means the treasury of the glorious rest. His wife's name meant belonging to the goddess Neith, and she was the Egyptian goddess of creation, wisdom, weaving, and war. Part of the thing that Pharaoh does here is he makes sure that Joseph will be accepted by society in Egypt. And how does he do that? Because Joseph's God is not widely accepted, and he's not wanting to promote Joseph's God because I am Pharaoh, I'm the morning and the evening sun. 
So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set this boy in authority, but I'm going to marry him to a woman who is literally named after one of the goddesses that we have so that the faith of Egypt will still be tied to the gods. Pharaoh's a smart dude. And Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. How many of you know a 30-year-old that's ready to run an entire empire? Not just a company, an empire. You don't have a 30-year-old executive at Google. You don't have a 30-year-old executive at Nike. Those guys, when they were 30, the company was just taken off. McDonald's does not have a 30-year-old CEO. Walmart sure doesn't. Sam was way old, and his kids, before they got to take over the company, were way older than 30. Guy's 30. At 30 years old, he's in charge of saving the world. But... It's easy to look at that and forget about the seasons that he came through. You don't think in the pit where there was no water that he didn't develop a good fear of being without food and drink? Or being, in a, being set over the household of one of the most powerful men in Egypt that he didn't learn a little bit of how to manage things and how to deal with people? Being stuck in a prison he knows he doesn't want to mess this job up. <laughs> you mess up this job for Pharaoh, the whole world ends, is what he's seeing. So he goes and he does throughout the entire land of Egypt in the plentiful years when everything's producing abundantly, he begins to set up a system of storage and, and sets things back and sticks to the plan. And he stored up grain in abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Anybody want to harvest like that? Where you, It's so good you've got to stop measuring it because you can't. That, that's hard for me to get my brain around. I'm not even a farmer. But I, I feel bad for the, the guy that's driving the grain cart that day because he's always behind anyway. And before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, born them to him. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, just looking at that, looking at that right there, we, we a lot of times we put Joseph on that, oh, he was so, so righteous and holy. Look what he named his kids. This is a guy naming his kids out of hurt and out of trauma. He said, God has made me forget all my hardship. Really? Really? 
you're, you're blessed with the divine power of God just to forget? I mean, yeah, holding that newborn baby, a lot of those troubles melted away. But you think for a moment when his brothers walk into the throne room in next week's message that he's really forgot what they did to him? I don't believe that for a minute. And we're going to get to see more of the beauty of the fact that, that just like Joseph, we're going to struggle. Man, does he celebrate the birth of his kids? Yes. And those are cool names, you know, that, that God gave me Manasseh, whose Manasseh's name means causing me to forget. And Ephraim has a double meaning name. It means a double ash heap. Like I've burnt the bridges of my past. But understand that ash heaps were also the place of mourning and sorrow in the ancient world. You didn't go just sit on the ground. You went up, sat on the ground and covered yourself in ashes and wept and mourned and fasted in the Old Testament. But the other side of his, of his name means I will be doubly fruitful. Is that not the story of Joseph's life? You know, his, his life was utterly in ashes twice. And God has put him into the position of power. And, and we're going to get to see that, that Joseph manages Egypt. And, and his sons were born before the famine. And Joseph at age 37 is when the, the famine will spread all over the land. And Joseph opened all of the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in all of Egypt. I don't want to give away all of next week, but I want you to understand that God had provided a way to save all of the world through the gifting and the, the blessings that he gave Joseph. And, and I wonder sometimes if, if we fail to live up to that legacy because the, the same spiritual gifting of, of being able to save a world that's out there in, in a famine, that they're lost in the, the algorithm's fog of technology we're called to go and step into that famine with the abundance of the love of god the abundance of the truth of the gospel that god so loved the world he gave his only begotten son do we do we look at ourselves as that storehouse of grain that is meant to be sold or do we look at ourselves as that storehouse and we keep the doors closed because I, I, I don't want to give away what I have. I, I don't want to give that away. And, and I'll tell you, the, the reality is for Joseph, if, if he knew that 
his family was going to have to come buy this grain from him, the Bible never tells us that. Because the dream as he interpreted it was for Egypt. And all along the way, God had these seasons laid out in Joseph's life to save his family. I want you to understand a lot of people aren't saving their own family because they're not willing to open that storehouse of grain, that storehouse of the truth of the bread of life of God's word. They're not willing to open it and share it with the lost. Joseph is taking care of Egypt long before his family shows up in the palace. Joseph is, is not so, I've got to save my own family. And sometimes I think that's where we get stuck. Man, I can't even get my own kids to read the Bible. How am I going to teach somebody else's kid to do it? Well, maybe I should go try and teach someone else's kid for a little while. And love my kid anyway, even though they're hard-headed and stubborn. Smelly sometimes. Oh, I'm getting a dirty look. I better back off that one. But the thing I want us to walk away with this morning is that Joseph, and we, we saw a glimpse of it when he named his kids, he's still carrying the hurt from his past, but the hurt and the disappointment from his past is not what he's anchored to. He's anchored right where his feet are in the moment. And his feet in the moment were doing what was set in front of him. Doing exactly what God had him to do in the moment, which was save Egypt. Next week, we're going to get to see it all come flooding back when his brothers come in the throne room. Because I'm telling you, you can see it scripturally that he may have named his kid that God caused me to forget, but he hasn't forgotten. There, and we get to see Joseph work through the hurt. And if we as the church would ever work through the hurt, is there anyone we can't reach? Is there anyone you can't reach for the gospel when you have learned to work through the hurt of your own past? I'm telling you now that if Jesus can save a sinner like me, there's no one too lost for him to love. Heavenly Father, thank you.